This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Welcome to the morning break. My special guest today is Miguel Mendoza, English for Academic Purposes teachers, a teacher in Venezuela. Today our conversation will be about EDI, equality, diversity and inclusion in education. Please join me if you'd like to participate. This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Welcome to the morning break, everyone. My name is Graham Stanley, and today's show features a conversation with Miguel Mendoza, a teacher from Venezuela. I've known Miguel for some time. We first met in person in 2007 when I had the pleasure to visit Caracas to do some teacher training, a week-long seminar on Web 2.0 for English teachers in Venezuela. Since then, we've been in touch on social media and have occasionally bumped into each other at conferences. Miguel has become more involved with inclusion and diversity in education, particularly higher education, and that's what the main focus of our conversation will be today. Remember, if you're listening in and would like to join me live, then please download the Podbean app, visit ttradio.org and click on Listen Live on the homepage. This should take you directly into the show, and there we can chat, and I can also bring you into the show to speak. I'll be talking to Miguel right after the Teacher Talk Radio News. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you, too, through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles, and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.weatherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm starting a series on home connection speed and getting the best performance. Everybody wants the best performance for their devices at home, with more and more things needing the internet or a home network connection to provide interactivity and additional functionality, ensuring you can get a good connection is essential. Most people use Wi-Fi as their home setup, so I'll start with this and also try and explain basically how a home network works. First, let's understand what devices are doing when you add them to your Wi-Fi network. Wireless fidelity, or Wi-Fi as it's commonly known, is a high-frequency signal that's being invisibly transmitted around your home. If you have access to the signal, you can send and receive data. This is what your phone, laptop, tablets, internet-enabled TV, wireless alarms, even some door locks and fridges are connecting through to communicate and most of the time use the internet to add functionality to your ever-growing smart home. The more devices you have, the more demand is placed on your network to transmit data. Comparing your home network to the network of corridors in your school and throwing in some geeky tech words, bandwidth is the size of the corridor and dictates how much traffic or people that can be handled. Classrooms are the devices and the staff and pupils are the data that 
the devices need. Using the school as a physical example of a network, during lesson time when everybody's in place, it's easy to travel around the network of corridors and people, or data, can travel at normal walking speed, or faster if you're feeling the need to. On lesson change or at break time, lots of people need to be somewhere else. Pupils need to walk slower, follow rules such as walking on a certain side or in a certain direction, doorways create queues, and the journey from A to B during this time can take considerably longer. This is due to the physical constraints of the corridor. It cannot get any bigger, so people need to move slower. Comparing this to your home network, bandwidth is the amount of data that can be sent at a given time. It's measured in bits per second, a bit being a one or a zero. That's binary, the computer's language. So a one megabit bandwidth means one million ones and zeros can be transmitted in a second. If you decide to look up your Wi-Fi speed, you'll find some really interesting facts, but also risk being sent to sleep. A modern Wi-Fi network on paper is capable of transmitting 1,300 megabits per second. That's 1 billion 300 million ones and zeros every second. Oh wow. There are, however, loads of factors to consider, the main one being the number of devices sharing the bandwidth at a given time. Over this series, I'll be looking at what you can do to help you get the best performance from your home network. For now, I hope you're beginning to understand what's happening on your home network and why at busy times it can slow down. Today's takeaway tip is if you need good performance, then make sure other devices are not reducing the bandwidth that you are receiving. If this has given you food for thought, I'd love to hear from you. Why not get in touch at TT Radio 2022? Follow us and tell us what you want want to know about tech. I'm Steve Woods and that was 2 Minute Tech. 2 Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common, a passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, You'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are with a Slack group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. So hello and welcome to the morning break on Teachers Talk Radio, where today I'm joined by a very special guest, Miguel Mendoza. Miguel, thank you so much for agreeing to join me today. Uh, you suggested as good practice for this episode that you describe yourself for the benefit of the visually impaired. So over to you. Hi, Graham, and thanks for inviting me to Teachers Talk Radio show. And yes, since we are talking today about, you know, disability, uh, diversity and equality, it's a good idea to describe myself to low vision and blind people. So I am a Latino man from Venezuela and um, I've got gray hair and pale skin. I am wearing glasses, a t-shirt, jeans and sneakers. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you. So it's been a long time since we last talked, Miguel. How are you and what have you been up to recently? Well, I'm good. <laughs> Working a lot as usual. So I'm still working at the university, teaching EAP uh, to librarianship student. I'm also teaching. I'm also teaching one to one since 2017 because of the economic uh, and political situation in our country. And um, and last year I started as the the academic director of a of an online bilingual institution for Latin American students, which is which is an interesting project. And I'm um, I'm quite active when. Uh, when talking about uh, disability issues uh, uh, at the university. Fantastic. Yeah. So it sounds like you're keeping extremely busy 
which is great. Yeah. And um, so I know, as you, as you mentioned, you you are a very passionate advocate for greater emphasis on EDI, uh, equality, diversity, and inclusion in education. That uh, is, you believe there's a much greater need for it when it comes to teaching and learning. So this is such a large area, and I do want to touch upon. Um, I think it'd be really interesting to touch upon quite a few different aspects of it. But um, which aspects do you think of EDI need most improvement or that educators should need to pay more attention to, uh, do you think? Yeah, yeah, you're, you're right. There are a lot of things that we can talk about disability and especially in education. But I would say universal design because universal design has to do with um, not only physical space, products and services and attitudes, and especially attitudes. Because if you ask a student with disability, what's the obstacle they think um, they, they would like to, that, that they're going to need like a lot of help and support has to do with attitudes. You know, the way the teacher treat a student with disabilities in the classroom, their classmates, authorities, et cetera. So universal design is quite important. This means that teachers are going to need training yeah. But it shouldn't be just training for the sake of it, you know, like attended a certain training and that was the end of the whole thing. There, 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 there are need, we, we are going to need like some sort of follow up or call to action to make sure that teachers understand that now in the 21st century, we are not teaching the uh, kind of a student we are used to teach you know the one we understand as a normal student who's got certain cognitive abilities etc cetera, etc cetera. it's a different student a total dif uh, different student because we're talking about diversity so you need to be trained to understand what disability is which is your perception of disability as well because i tend to believe even in the united states and in england that we still see students with disabilities from the model uh, the medical model and not the social model People tells you it is the social model, that the problem is in the environment and not the, 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 the body. But when they, when they have to help someone with disability, or when they talk about people with disabilities or talk to them, you can, you can notice that they are still in the medical model where the problem is in the person's body, not the environment. So training is going to be really important because in the classroom, we are going to have different students including people with disabilities. So we have to learn not only how to treat students with disabilities, but how we are going to uh, plan a lesson. And right now people are talking about an interesting framework, which is um, based on uh, universal design accessibility, uh, uh, which is universal design for learning or universal design of instruction. That means that we are going to plan a lesson or the curriculum uh, for everybody not just for the student with, uh, with disabilities. Generally, the teacher tends to believe, oh, I have a, a blind student or a deaf student. I have to plan special lesson for him. If you do that, you are segregating the student. So what we have to do is to learn how to design lessons where everybody is going to learn, participate, and be or be in, uh, because that's inclusion. When you can participate, you can learn, and you are just like anybody else not someone who is staying in the classroom because there is a legal framework that is pushing you to keep someone in the classroom, someone with a disability. So that's really, really important. Um, training and training following a certain framework and understand 
that now in the 21st century, we are not teaching one type of student, but different types of students in the classroom. That's a really interesting uh, perspective on, on what teachers need to, how teachers need to approach their lessons and, and uh, their students actually. Just to pick you up on something you said about universal design, you mentioned two sort of terms there, universal design for learning and universal design of instruction. Are these synonyms? Are these used to, for the same yeah, thing? The same. Yeah, okay. And if somebody wanted, if a teacher wanted to know more about it and start to sort of get an idea of what is, mm -hmm. what is um, required of this mm -hmm. uh, to, to train or to, to learn more about it, is there, are there any resources that you can point them to that you know about that you recommend? Well, on the internet, you're going to find lots of information about universal design of instruction or universal design for learning. And in fact, every since I'm part of a committee at the university yeah. uh, that uh, helps students with disabilities, every semester I send a uh, email to teachers telling them, okay, this is the these are the students with disabilities we've got in the school, and I attach a, a document about this uh, framework because it's still a framework, right? Yeah. So it's like a map that is going to help you plan your lessons and all the, all the things that you're going to do in the classroom. So online, you're going to find lots of uh, information, documents, and even there is one that I use because it's got examples on how to apply mm -hmm. the principles because there are like seven principles and also three important aspects that you have to take into account as well, like per perception, expression, comprehension, which has to do with, again, planning everything to guarantee that student is learning, student is participating, and is engaged, all of them together, not separately. Wow, that sounds really, really interesting. I'm, I'm definitely, after we talk, I'm definitely going looking for more information on this. Uh, uh, right. So thank you for that. So I'm, I'm also interested, Miguel, in your perspective of EDI in the Americas and whether you have noticed any big differences between the way people are treated in different countries in the region? And is there any country, for example, either in the Americas or outside, which you think is particularly advanced in its thinking, policies, or educational systems when it comes to this? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, well, that's a that's a good question because I haven't thought about that before. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to start with uh, data numbers. For example, yeah. in Latin America, there are 85 million people with disabilities right mm -hmm. in the united states 61 million people and in canada 5.3 million people so a lot of people just in the americas with disabilities and of course um around the world there are more people with disabilities so it is the largest um uh, minority uh in the world yeah. people with disabilities and what's something we, we tend to forget is that we are going to be part of this minority group sometime because of a uh, temporary disability, like, for example, being pregnant, an accident, COVID-19, mm -hmm. or yeah. because we are aging. So whatever we do for people with disabilities, that's going to be a benefit for all of us, right? Which is yeah. different from some other minority group. And uh, so now there is a slight difference, and I'm going to say a slight difference, uh, which is, again, related or connected to accessibility. Of course, if you think of the United States and Canada, maybe there's more accessibility for people with disabilities, but not 
because for example, just train stations, if you ask someone with disabilities in the United States about train stations and if they're accessible, they are going to tell you, yes, in some train stations, not all of them. Mm -hmm. Same thing happens in Europe and in, even in England, which is, you know, England has got an amazing uh, job in history in connection to people with disabilities. And there are, there are still accessibility issues there, right? Definitely. So just imagine in Latin America. In Latin America, we are still having, of course, um, uh, issues related to obstacles that people are going to face uh, when they uh, go to work, when they go to school, the way they are treated. So um, issues that are still there, right? Uh, uh, in one way or another in the America. Yeah. So it's still an issue. If there is a country that we can, I don't know, take as an example to learn a little bit more about accessibility and respecting, not accepting, res respecting people with disabilities mm -hmm. is Japan. Okay? Mm -hmm. But Japan has got some issues with uh, obstacles as well for people with disabilities. But it's got an interesting, um, it's got interesting legal framework, policies, and even um, in no, I think that's Germany. Germany is another country because in Germany, I think all students with disabilities, they should uh, complete, I think it is primary school at least, right? Yeah. While in the Americas, sometimes someone with disabilities, it's, it's not going to be able to finish uh, school because there is no accessibility. And also because most of them uh, are living in poverty. So opportunities, uh, not that many. Right, of course, yeah. That's really interesting as well. I think what you said about uh, the UK, for example, and, and lots of other places in Europe, I think about accommodating, um, you know, public transport, etc., being um, suitable for um, physically mm -hmm. disabled, for example, is really interesting. I think one of the big problems that is faced in a country like the UK is is this um fact that most the, the cities were sort of constructed a long time ago before mm. anyone took dis the dis disability in, into account really mm. so you have yeah. you have the if you just look at the london underground the problems with the design of those physical spaces and the mm -hmm. fact that they were exactly. they were built so long ago um and they're a kind of restrictions on what can be done without seriously overhauling the whole system on there, which is which is really problematic when it comes to actually being mm -hmm. more yeah, inclusive, right. isn't it? Yeah, 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 exactly. So, and that's, I think that happens almost everywhere. You know, when people yeah. think about um, adapting, accommodating, uh, that there is something already that's been built, universities, schools, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. But there are ways to uh, adapt uh, physical spaces. Yeah. So that's that's a job architects um, uh, have and engineers. But the, because the thing is, if, if you, when you read about accessibility and architecture, what you're going to find is universal design as well. And one of the things they say, one of their principles is before you start planning anything, you have to think about accessibility. And now that's been translated into education. Before you design a web page, think about, uh, about accessibility before you think of a book or whatever think about accessibility first mm -hmm. people are not doing it or most people are not doing it but we have to think think about accessibility first not only in terms of representation but how people with disabilities are going to use for example a book or a web page etc yeah i think that's the key isn't it um is to always have it in mind 
whenever you're yep. approaching um, this design of a course or when you're preparing to teach, for example, if you're uh, in that situation. You know, by, by chance, I, I was listening to this teacher from the UK and yeah. it was on Twitter spaces. Mm -hmm. And he was he was talking about getting ready for classes in September, you know, mm -hmm. and he wanted to know about inclusive practice and, and all that. And uh, he was talking about something interesting, which is the learning hub for students with disabilities, because generally we tend to believe that if you have a student with disabilities, he should be in a special schools uh, area or institution that segregation. Yeah. And he was talking about student with disabilities in any mainstream classroom, but a learning hub. So if there is a situation with a student with disability, the student is uh, taken to this learning hub for five minutes only and then go goes back to the classroom. And, and that's an interesting um, way to guarantee not only equality, but equity uh, in the classroom. Yes, I must say um, when I worked in in Uruguay uh, on the uh, remote teaching project that, uh, mm -hmm. that I was involved in there, one of the things I saw when I, I went around the country observing classes um, was the integration, for example, of uh, students with disability into regular classrooms. And quite often what happened was, for example, uh, a student with uh, who had hearing impairment would have someone with them to actually help them during the during the, the lessons. So they had a that person that teach, that student had an assistant who would actually be able to um, speak to them uh, Great. more closely to sort of help them with what was going on. And I thought that was an interesting way of providing extra assistance to students who needed it. Exactly. But that's an inclusive yeah. strategy more than integration, because the problem is in the Americas and most countries that we are only integrating students, not including students. So that's an interesting inclusive action for uh, deaf students. Yeah. So I think I'm right in saying, Miguel, that you principally work and you mentioned it before university, higher education. Is there anything particular about the university setting that you've seen that needs to be taken into account when it comes to this area? What challenges have you come across? What have you learned about taking a more EDI-focused approach to your work in education? Uh, one of them has to do with training. Teachers are not ready to teach students with disabilities and generally, not only in, in Latin America, I think almost everywhere. <laughs> but um, the thing is that teachers tell you that they were not trained to teach students with disabilities, but that's not a very good excuse. I always talk about Carlos Estliar. He's uh, a teacher from Argentina. Yeah. And um, he's a teacher, he's a researcher, and um, he's always talking about inclusion in the classroom. And he says that disability is a matter of um, responsibility and ethics. And that's something all teachers, you know, it's, it's, it, that's, that's part of being a teacher. You know, so an excuse that you are not being trained to teach students with disabilities is not really good because we are not trained for many things. So, yeah. um, so that's that's training teachers is and raising awareness is quite important at the university, not only for teachers, for classmates, for uh, the people who work at the university, author especially authorities, because sometimes teachers 
they are willing not only to provide support but organize you know some sort of um, activity to guarantee that students with disabilities can function in the university but authorities it's so difficult for them to understand that students with disabilities have the same rights uh, the rest of the students have at the university and that they are a priority i do remember someone telling me a teacher that they were not priority but students with disabilities are priorities because they are not only students, but they are human beings and they have rights. So uh, we have to guarantee that they are going to be able to function. Of course, and this is really important, it depends on the country on how much a teacher can do. And this is something I, uh, someone from the Faculty of Architecture mm -hmm. in my university was saying, yes, universal design, but of course, you are going to, to try to guarantee uh, that the student is going to function, but it is going to depend on the resources you have available. But it's yeah. important to do it because if you have an accessible environment, the, the student with disability is going to uh, finish successfully like most students at a, a university career. If not, Maybe they are going to do it, but they will have to face obstacles the rest of the students won't have to, and that's not fair. So training is really important. Uh, of course, accessibility, physical accessibility is going to be important for those who have a certain mobility disability. Um, but also, for example, in terms of products and services, technology. Technology is key for many students with disabilities, including, for example, autistic students, or someone with a psychological disability or mental disability. Um, so that's going to be really important. Or sometimes a um, physical disability, because if your hands are compromised, you are going to need a certain technological, um, it's called assistive technology, to be able to do your, your activities. So the, those are issues that we have to deal with at the university, at least in our university, uh, because of us, the situation in, in our country it is really difficult to guarantee that students have access to technology, but they should be trained to use technology outside the university. That's, that's an important thing. And sometimes that's another issue, that students are not trained to use technology, the student with disabilities. So that's another important issue. So it's uh, training, it's accessibility. Uh, uh, students should be trained to use technology, students with disabilities. And uh, yeah, that's... Uh, uh, that's that's uh, basically what uh, the issues we have to face at the university or challenges. Well, that's, yeah, uh, that's, it's quite something, but I think um, it takes an, uh, um, everyone's taken an active approach to do that. I think what you said yeah. about, uh, for example, legal frameworks, it's quite interesting that I think, and I have some, seen um, examples of this where, Laws are passed, legal frameworks are available, the rights um, are sort of putting into law, and yet there's quite a distance between that happening at the government yeah. level or the local government level and the actual uh, reality, uh, the day-to-day -day reality and the adaptation that organisations such as schools or universities have to make um, based on the legal framework as well, isn't it? Or even the fact that um, getting to know about it, everybody, including those who are disabled, actually understanding exactly. what their rights are is quite a challenge sometimes, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Legal framework is is uh, is an issue because, as you were saying before, 
most teachers and authorities do not know the legal, the legal framework uh, that can be used not only to protect a student's rights, but the responsibility you have to guarantee that student with disability can be admitted at the university, for example, and all the support they are going to need at the university. But at the same time, students with disabilities, sometimes they don't know which their rights are. So they don't know about, and not only in Latin America, I, I mean, it's almost everywhere, you know. For example, in our university, uh, we have policies related to disability mm -hmm. and most teachers and authorities, they, they don't know about it, right? Yeah. So that's, that, that's sending a message. And the message is that uh, most universities, um, they pretend they are interested in providing support to students with disabilities, but at the end of the day, nothing happens. The situation is still the same. So that's right. a lot of ableism and tokenism when we are talking about disabilities at the universities and many, many schools as well, high schools, almost everywhere. Yeah, picking up on, on what you've just said, the two words there that are quite interesting, I think it would be interesting to unpack those terms uh, a little bit ableism and tokenism what what could you give us an example of ableism yeah. for example what, what is ableism exactly and and why is it something we need to be very careful of and um keep an eye on on to make sure that that isn't the attitude that is being taken yeah, yeah, yeah. well ableism has to do with the discrimination of uh people with disabilities right yeah so that's 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 it and that's what generally happens people are discriminated because they have a certain disability and that happens not only in the university outside the university right when when you are organizing an event like an event i attended two weeks ago it was about uh, disability in the arts and you're yeah. going to talk about accessibility you need a sign language interpreter. When you don't do that, you are discriminating the deaf community. So part of the disability community has been discriminated because there is no assigned language interpreter. If you have a wonderful documentary and you are talking about education and you don't see anyone from the disability community, you are also discriminating. But when you use, and this has to do with tokenism, when you use people with disabilities to pretend that you do uh, uh, believe and understand that people with disabilities are part of society, that is tokenism. Because tokenism means pretending that you are doing something to guarantee that people with disabilities are going to be part of society, that they're going to have accessibility. But at the end of the day, nothing happens. So that's tokenism. In a few words, pretending and ableism, discriminating. Right. So ableism is the discrimination in favor of able-bodied people isn't it it's exactly it's actually not providing the support that mm. is required if you're trying to be inclusive to people with uh disabilities for example mm -hmm. exactly yeah that's and right then, and then tokenism is actually just doing the minimum to sort of give the outside impression that you're yeah, right. actually taking action to support that's or help right. Uh, underrepresented groups, for example, but you're not really doing it. You're not doing it in a serious way, That's not right. really trying to help. So, um, Miguel, if if we turn now to focus a little bit more on disability, people immediately think of 
the when they hear the term disability they immediately think of physical disability i think when they hear that term but there are many types of disability including intellectual mm -hmm. disability sensory disability mental illness etc that um, are sometimes referred to as hidden disabilities and educators need to be sensitive to this in practical terms what do you think teachers can do to become more aware of the needs of of the disabled, particularly if if students may have hidden disabilities, for example, what can or should they do to support students who may have special needs because of that? Yeah, well, it's it's got to do with training again. I mean, you yeah. need to know that there are different types of disabilities, visible disabilities, invisible disabilities. Um, of course, visible disabilities generally or most of the time are easy to identify, but it depends because you can be a deaf person and you can be in the classroom. Yeah. And if, if the, the student is not signing or he, if he doesn't have like a hearing device, um, it is going to be difficult for the teacher to identify that he is deaf. And that happens, that has happened at the university. A student sitting there in the classroom and no one knows he is deaf, right? Right, yeah. So, um, so that's why we need some sort of training to identify different types of uh, disabilities and what to do, how to provide support to students with disabilities. I do remember because the only uh, uh, institution organization that has asked for help to train teachers to provide support to students with disabilities is the British Council. We have right. offered like two workshops. And I do remember a teacher telling us, um, uh, you know, the, the thing is that when I am teaching, I notice there are students who is like um, sitting there, kind of isolated, he doesn't communicate, and some other have a behavior which is not like behavior most, behavior most people still have. But I don't know what's going on. And uh, I was telling her, well, there, there is a, a situation there. Parents, they do not generally talk about that because of fear, you know, they are afraid that um, they are not going to be, they're not going to receive the same treatment in, yeah. in school and also because of bullying, right? Yeah, yeah. So, but, but that's not good. You have to tell uh, that your child has got a certain disability to provide the right support. But the space should be accessible enough that maybe you won't have to reveal your disability or your children's disability. Yeah. But if the space is not because because teachers are not trained. They don't know what to do. Physically speaking, it is not also uh, right for students with disabilities. So it's they are going to be struggling, right, in the language classroom. So training mm -hmm. is going to be key to identify and always a follow-up. And it is easy. Teachers generally tend to believe that they have to become like experts on disability. No, it's just being informed, being trained, but also uh, because one of the things we tend to forget is that not all uh, people with visual disabilities, for example, are the same. There is yeah. a spectrum. Yeah. And the problem is that we tend to put everybody in one box and we expect people with, with disabilities to be the same, not true. So mm -hmm. being trained, uh, getting information and very important asking the student uh, himself or herself, asking them how I can help you or the parents if they are children, that's going to be quite important, right? And that's, that's going to help you then learn uh, how to provide support with, with, uh, uh, to students with disabilities. So once again, training, um, 
asking people with disabilities or their parents, and also uh, you yourself getting some information about disabilities, right? What it is, we have to understand what it is and which is, which your perception of disability is. Because if you're still at the medical model, you are going to be uh, um, segregating the student a lot and that happens. But if you are in the social model, that's your perception, the social model, the problem is the environment, not the student. So your attitude is going to be completely different. Yes, that's a very good point. Um, just to pick up on something that you touched upon uh, there, I think, you know, when you're saying that sometimes it isn't, um, it isn't obvious that a student, for example, in, in a teacher's classroom may have a disability because they may not want to reveal it because they're afraid and this fear of being um discriminated against for example is is something that that is a real issue i think isn't it so yeah. i think what what you said about um the need for teachers to be observant to mm -hmm. to really understand and know their students and to provide this um inclusive environment where students do feel that they can talk to a teacher about anything um is so important i think i think it's not only students so is it i think i'm thinking about an example um again when i worked in uruguay and we had a teaching center and one of the coordinators um came to me um at one point and said oh i think i think we need to talk about one of one of the teachers um and wow. she explained how one of the remote teachers she felt that uh the teacher perhaps had some um some uh problems with um being able to well with with sight um so she she had a visual impairment that was actually causing her difficulties teaching and we came to know that uh, she indeed had um had visual impairment that and she found it quite difficult um in the teaching points that we used we had very small monitors for example she found it quite difficult because the monitor yeah. was quite a long way away from her desk where she was teaching from and of course you can imagine a very small monitor and students a class of 30 students on that monitor um she had difficulty in identifying them or being able to um do a job because of that but we also noted that i think she was trying not to say anything she didn't say anything because she didn't want to make mm -hmm, a fuss yeah. she didn't want to be yeah. the teacher who caused the problem i think there was that mm -hmm. attitude that she had she felt you know she was just getting on with it and trying to do her best um otherwise and or she had the perhaps she had a fear of if she revealed this we may not want to have her as a teacher and she was a very good teacher so the way we approached this was um myself and the coordinator we just had a discussion with her and um tried in a sensitive way to kind of explore this and offer uh solutions Great. so to try and explore you know look we we think this is the case um, and we'd like to offer 
you know, can we help you? Can we get you just a bigger monitor? Would that help? Um, you know, is, is that yeah. something you would appreciate? And that yeah. in the end was the solution. We, we yeah. purchased a bigger monitor. We didn't need to say anything to anyone. Right. She always used the same, yeah. the same teaching point. There was no need to draw attention to that visual impairment she had. We just had the monitor and, and she, she, she found that, um, a great help and i think those kinds of that that came from the coordinator that we had who you know spent time with the teachers talked to them right. got to know them observed them from her observation and sort of picking up on on that uh, exactly. and that was an example of you know one of our colleagues one of the teachers actually um requiring a more uh a better environment for um, for helping it to do a classes and so right. right instead of judging you know the yeah. teacher uh, she was offered you know the opportunity to first to see what was going on yeah and then make accommodations it, yeah you so know i think it, i think it's yeah. that isn't it it's 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 wherever you work as a teacher mm -hmm. to be yes. observant to, to kind of ask yourself questions mm -hmm. to find the time to yes. reflect upon the people you work with and the students you teach and to see if there are any things that you're not noticing that perhaps um require some kind of intervention i think to yeah. to help um to help have a more sort of inclusive approach to to the work that we do yeah, yeah. Uh, um you know that's something we don't talk about teachers yeah. with disabilities and yeah how to provide support to them right and yeah. and also to guarantee that they're not going to lose their job because sometimes they don't say anything because they believe that they are going to lose their job right if yeah they and have again, some sort of disability and again to come back to the legal frameworks and again uh -huh. the example of uruguay um a law was passed in uruguay that um organizations over a certain number of people who worked for them and i think i'm right in saying it might be i might be getting this wrong but it might be a hundred if if an organization um, any organization has more than i think a hundred uh, employees then there's a kind of quota there's a, a need to have a certain percentage of those employees um self-declaring as being disabled and that is an idea to try and encourage yeah. companies and organizations to obviously um, be more inclusive uh, when it comes to recruitment, because there's that barrier, yeah. isn't there? There's the sort of yeah. the, that firewall that prevents people who are disabled actually being actively employed. And in education, I think that would be the case as well uh, in a lot of yeah. places. Exactly. But you know, apart from making accommodations to teachers with disabilities, which is quite important. Also, when you have a, a teacher with disability in the classroom, it's a, a, a good role model for other yeah. students with disabilities, you know, like representation. Oh, I've got a teacher, he's got a disability, she's here, she's teaching me just like anybody else, just like any other teacher. So that she's setting a good example, especially for teachers with disability, which is something I wanted to know, like two weeks ago, trying to find some if there were if there was some uh, EFL or ESL teacher with disabilities, I couldn't find any information. 
but that's kind of important. In our faculty, we have autistic teachers, teachers with psychological uh, yeah. disabilities, uh, psychosocial disabilities, and uh, wheelchair users, right? Yeah. And they are part of our community. Yes, no, I have worked in, I remember working in a very large um, school, college and university in Barcelona, where they, it was a very old building and all of the classrooms were on the first or second floors and the offices were on the ground floor and they only really took action to make uh, the place, the physical space more accommodating for the physically disabled when they had a, a, a student enroll who was in a wheelchair and they realised that their building wasn't actually suitable for it. So to their credit, they actually um, used the summer to build a lift. So they had a, a lift installed that would enable uh, this student or any future students or anyone who required it uh, needed uh, help, the ability to actually to get to the classrooms. Um, but it was amazing to me how it would it took that enrollment of a student in a wheelchair to actually take that action and uh so it was a reactive action rather than than doing anything beforehand but even so it was you know it was good that they actually did that exactly yeah and that's there is an obstacle there right which is the building yeah. but you can make accommodations i mean you don't have to uh maybe to change the the building i mean it's physical infrastructure but you can do something to guarantee that that person with a, with a disability can participate just just like anybody else right so that's great yeah so miguel now when it comes to diversity in education one of the things that seems clear to me that teachers can do is develop this more comprehensive understanding of the variety of backgrounds and cultures present in the classroom and society at large and help students do the same. It's probably something that all teachers need to sort of think about. And a very practical example of this in language teaching, for example, is this idea of trying to avoid stereotypes, such as, for example, the male, female, middle class, married couple with children examples that appear in the majority of course books and to include examples of LGBTQ plus relationships, et cetera. Can you suggest other ways that teachers may embrace diversity in the classroom? Well, one of them is learning how to design, you know, materials that guarantee that everybody is going to uh, learn and participate, right? So yeah. everybody, uh, there is this uh, teacher from Canada, Tyson Seaburn, and he's yes. got these amazing book how to write uh, how to write inclusive materials if i remember well the name it can be a very good reference for teachers you know to start you know designing materials for students with disabilities not only uh, wait for a, a certain publisher to design materials because we know that they've got certain restrictions sometimes uh, to yeah. do that but you can design your very own materials right and that's a very good reference and another one is these uh, Amazing material written by let's let's see if I remember his name. I have it somewhere here, which is uh, James Taylor and Ila Coimbra. It's yes. called Raised Up, and it's yes. it's not only about disability. It's about different types of um, situations that uh, that 
can be used as a as an example for teachers not only to use in the classroom but to design your their very own lessons for sure yes and, definitely sorry yeah go ahead no i was going to say i, I think you know the, those two examples are, are fabulous examples and um i think one of the things touching upon what you were saying about publishers is that very often publishers mm -hmm. need to sort of do things for a global market if you have a global exactly. course book that re requires um, um that they're going to sell in all of the markets that has restrictions and it, mm -hmm. it necessarily as far as the market's concerned forces a type of bland content or content that isn't so inclusive upon it one of the things i think is really interesting is this idea of having more localized content having course books mm. that are aimed at particular countries right. or regions or as you say that uh, example of raise up that independently produced uh, materials that um, can take a, a more inclusive approach or embrace subjects that perhaps are not normally part of the um, the language classroom, for example, or or otherwise. I think another example. Don't know if you've come across it, Miguel. Is is a group of ELT writers put together a independently produced book of activities that was um, labelled Parsnip. Have you come across that? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I do remember it. Yeah, which yeah. is an I, it's an interesting that. acronym that is that comes from um, English language teaching publishing, I believe. Which is Parsnip stands for the subjects that course book writers cannot put in their course books. Um, yeah, I'm trying to remember exactly what with what the acronym stands for. I think it's um, I'll look it up anyway when I come back to it. But yeah. Um, when we were preparing for this show, uh, Miguel, one of the things you suggested talking about was intersectionality, which I have to admit was a new term to me. Could you briefly explain what this is and how a teacher might take it into account? Yeah, well, the term interse intersectionality was coined by Kimberly Crenshaw, that was in the late 90s. And um, inter intersectionality has to do with the different identities people have. We generally tend to, when we think of diversity, we think of the difference uh, between or among groups or people, etc., but not the different identi identities people have themselves. You know, like I don't yeah. know, for example, being white, a man, uh, able-bodied or disabled, being gay or transgender, etc. So, uh, including also, for example, your social level, right? Even yeah. speaking a language, so different identities that if, you, if, if they are combined or they are intersected, that's going to cause discrimination or privileges, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So a very good example is, and, and it is not the same uh, white man mm -hmm. able-bodied than a black man able-bodied. Yeah. So the way people are, the, the white man is gonna have lots of privileges, right? Yeah. Just for being white and able-bodied. Yeah. But if you are black, there is an element there that can cause discrimination just for being black. Right. So just imagine in the classroom, someone who is black, disabled or with a disability, gay and a man. It's not the same if you are someone in the class, if you are someone in the classroom who have no disability, you're white and you're gay. 
So yeah. the, the, the way you are going to feel in the classroom can be really hard for you, right? And it is going to be really difficult maybe for you to perform because maybe you're not going to be, you won't feel like revealing uh, one of those identities. And you, what, you, what you are going to try to do is to mask that uh, identity that may cause discrimination. And that is an element that is going to influence in the way you perform in the classroom, the way you do things, the way you even interact or, with your classmates and all that stuff. I have a very good example. I have a student mm -hmm. who is bipolar and he's yeah. gay. He yeah. is very proud of being gay and he talks about it, but he tries to mask his disability, especially right. not only, not now because he's part of a committee and part of that provides support to students with disabilities, but right now, for example, he is in his internship and he doesn't want to reveal he is bipolar because he is afraid he won't be accepted. So it doesn't mean that we are going to, uh, that we're going to be in the classroom identifying all identities, but knowing that the student that is sitting in the classroom, uh, that they are totally different from the rest of the students, all of them are different, um, disabled or able-bodied students, that's something we have to take into account and think about it. Maybe talking to the student, seeing what's going on, or getting support from, like in our faculty, we have a student service unit where you can go and get support as a teacher to see what to do. The, one of the problems of the, of the university, scholars and, or academics, is that sometimes they tend to believe that their only job is to go to the classroom and teach. But yeah. our job in the 21st century is more than that. So yes. we have to contribute also to changes, social changes that are going to guarantee that everybody has the same opportunities, especially in the classroom. Yes, that's a very good point. I think the role of a teacher um, has by necessity uh, in society, it needs to change with the changing society. And we need to, to take on um, a lot of wear a different um wear a lot of different hats these days and take on those social responsibilities it's, it's sort of an, a need for all teachers to do isn't it really it, it isn't something you know just teaching isn't an option it's it's a kind of outdated um outdated way of thinking about what teaching actually is just teaching a subject or whatever so i've i've got the acronym now i've looked it up the parsnip acronym sounds P for politics, A for alcohol, R for religion, oh. S for sex, N for narcotics, I for isms, so communism, atheism, etc., yeah, and P yeah. for pork. And these are the kind of two taboo subjects that um, global ELT coursebook publishers tell the writers to avoid because it will it would cause them problems selling the books to certain markets. Mm -hmm. and there's a fantastic book and I'll dig out the link and put it in the, um, in the show notes so people can look at it that actually takes on exactly. board these, that acronym and provides lesson plan ideas mm -hmm. for discussion for teachers who want to talk about any of those subjects in class. You know that there was a, I think it was in IATEFL, I think 2012, you were there in Glasgow, yeah. if I remember well, and many other amazing teachers there. And I think there was a campaign, I don't know if you remember it, which is disabled friendly, I think. And uh, these people, of course, were uh, talking about this campaign. And one of the things they were doing is it, it was inviting teachers to write lessons right. for children to learn English, 
but at the same time to learn a little bit about disability. And that was yeah. an interesting initiative. In fact, the, there was like a contest. I participated in the contest okay. and designed a lesson. And we 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 were we got like third place, yeah, third runner up oh, wow. in this interesting. But it was really interesting campaign, you know. But the website is not available anymore. That's, That's another problem with things related to disability. That sometimes it lasts like for some years, several months, and then it vanished. You know, something happens. So that's 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 not really good. Yeah, that's a shame. That's a shame. But um, yeah, I think ELT, for example, or language teaching, we're in a very good position, I think, to be able to introduce a lot of the subjects and things we we're talking about because. I've of, yeah, often yeah. heard that language teaching is is um, is in search of a subject. You need to the content. Uh, it's a subject in search of content. I think is the term. You need actually to have content outside of just the language to populate your lesson plans, your material, your curriculum, your um, with. Don't you? you? You know. So most um language courses talk about uh tourism in different countries and shopping and various other things but you can have um very easily disability inclusion diversity all of the things we've been talking about today um as part of the content of your course in a language uh in a language classroom which you can't really do so much if you're teaching science or maths for example you can't really do that without it being a little bit artificial or a little bit odd but i think language teachers are in a very good position to actually become more inclusive and to introduce these subjects into the curriculum yeah yeah i agreed you know that one of the things we've been talking here in venezuela but yeah in venezuela is to um to request all careers at least in our university to have a subject related to diversity and disability and diversity in general yeah. for all careers you know of course right. adapted or on the career that you are teaching but like medicine for example because there, there is a problem there with doctors and people with disabilities and any other career architecture for example which is really important for accessibility so that's that's really important you know to add a certain um content which is going to be related to disability diversity or dis diversity in general uh, i don't know of course it's like delta or celta they have a module there uh related to uh to it but if not it would be really interesting uh, uh to have one. Oh, definitely that sounds like a great idea so miguel just moving towards wrapping up now because uh this is fascinating it's been great talking to you but i think we're kind of running out of time so um i would like to think from what you said today and from what i've seen happening that we're moving in the right direction that progress is being made and people on the whole and educators in particular becoming more tolerant more sensitive to the needs of others to the needs of students uh, and being more inclusive what do you think? Am I naive to think that, or, or is that true? There's There's been a change, for, of course, when we talk about disability. Um, uh, people are talking more about it. 
for sure. And there is amazing legal frameworks and, and you can see that there are interesting initiatives, but there is a, a lot uh, of work to do. Yeah. Uh, a lot. So I'm gonna take that uh, with a pinch of salt. I'm gonna say, yes, everything is okay. No. Uh, no, we still have to work a lot in order to guarantee that everybody has got the same uh, right to education. Yeah, of course. I think it's important not to get complacent. I think it is important mm -hmm. to recognize that progress is being made, yeah. uh, not to despair. Um, it certainly seems to me that we're not backtracking. We're not going back to a place yeah. uh, where these subjects were um, not important. I think they are becoming a lot more important and getting a lot more deservedly so a lot more attention than they, they have been and people are becoming more aware which is that awareness raising is so important I think which is why I'm very happy to do uh, this show with you um, both for my own personal benefit but also the benefit to everyone else who's um, who's listening. Um, now wrapping things up now Miguel um, when Miguel Mendoza is not working, what does his life look like? Uh, well, uh, uh, I love gardening. That's something I, I learned or got from my grandmother. Great. So that's like my mental health therapy. And it's interesting because lots of people are becoming interested in gardening, especially young people now. And it is not a trend. I, I think it is an interesting uh, thing for your mental health. But I also like photography, I like music. And lately I've been curating content for people. Uh, right. For example, on WhatsApp and Facebook, sometimes on Instagram. On Facebook, for example, uh, stories. Oh, I, yeah. I sort of, uh, because I, I find TikTok interesting, the content that you can find there. So I share tips related to uh, English, uh, learning English or practicing English because lots of students and teachers are following me on Facebook. On WhatsApp, I share lots of things, um, not only uh, things related to learning English, but music, documentaries, etc. And it's been really nice because, for example, I have a student with psychological disabilities, and they've told me that they wake up sometimes 2 p.m. 2 a.m. in the morning, they cannot sleep, and they, they go and check my WhatsApp status, and they, they feel better. So that's, I think that's really nice. I love that. And something similar with Instagram. So yes, curating content. So, so that's what I've been doing these days. Oh, that's great. I need to follow you to learn more about um, English language teaching tips on TikTok. Because I find TikTok, whenever I, I'm prompted to go in and uh, look for things, I get all sorts of there's a lot of noise basically so i guess the key yeah. the guess the key is to to search for the right hashtags isn't it or or to follow you somehow um where <laughs> would i find the things that you find on TikTok? would that be on facebook or on twitter or or on TikTok? okay so basically on facebook as i said before i'm sharing some uh tips related to language learning uh, uh on instagram it's uh, uh things related to um uh not only related to, to language learning, it's mostly related to things that we we're talking about, disability, LGBT right. plus community, politics, and stuff like it. And again, people, people, uh, they are always reacting to the things I share. So that's, that's re really nice. Fantastic. Okay, well, Miguel, I've really enjoyed talking to you today. And I, I've already started to see that I need to raise my awareness of a number of different um, 
aspects of EDI that we've been talking about. So thank you very much for that. For sure, Graham. Thanks for the invitation. It was really nice talking to you and talking about these uh, topic that I, that I love to talk about. And yeah, hope to. I hope we can talk about these uh, uh, some other time. So that brings us to the end of today's morning break. Many thanks for listening. And many thanks to my special guest, Miguel Mendoza. Remember, there are Teachers Talk radio shows all week. And you can join me again next week at the same time. Bye for now. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.